Canto One, Book Five, The Legend of Artegal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brian Barnes. The Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer. Book Five, The Legend of Artegal, Canto One. Though virtue then were held in highest price, In those old times of which I do entreat, Yet then likewise the wicked seed of vice Began to spring, which shortly grew full great, And with their boughs the gentle plants did beat. But evermore some of the virtuous race Rose up, inspired with heroic heat, That cropped the branches of the scient base, And with strong hand their fruitful rankness did deface. Such first was Bacchus, that with furious might All the east before untamed did overrun, And wrong repressed and established right, Which lawless men had formerly fordone. There justice first her princely rule begun. Next Hercules his like in sample shewed, Who all the west with equal conquest won, And monstrous tyrants with his club subdued, The club of justice dread, with kingly power endued. And such was he of whom I have to tell, The champion of true justice, Artegal, Whom, as ye lately mote remember well, And hard adventure which did then befall, Into redoubted peril forth did call. That was to succour a distressed dame, Whom a strong tyrant did unjustly thrall, And from the heritage which she did claim, Did with strong hand withhold. Grantorto was his name. Wherefore the lady, which Irena hight, Did to the fairy queen her way address, To whom, complaining her afflicted plight, She her besought of gracious redress, That sovereign queen, that mighty empress, Whose glory is to aid all suppliants poor, And of weak princes to be patroness, Chose Artegal to write her, to restore, For that to her he seemed best skilled in righteous lore. For Artegal in justice was upbrought, even from the cradle of his infancy, and all the depth of rightful doom was taught by fair Astraea with great industry, whilst here on earth she lived mortally. For till the world from his perfection fell into all filth and foul iniquity, Astraea here amongst earthly men did dwell, and in the rules of justice them instructed well. Whiles through the world she walked in this sort, Upon a day she found this gentle child, Amongst his peers playing his childish sport, Whom, seeing fit, and with no crime defiled, She did allure with gifts and speeches mild To wend with her. So thence him far she brought, Into a cave, from company exiled, In which she nursled him till years he wrought, And all the discipline of justice there him taught. There she him taught to weigh both right and wrong, In equal balance with due recompense, And equity to measure out along, According to the line of conscience, When so it needs with rigor to dispense. Of all the which, for want there of mankind, She caused him to make experience Upon wild beasts, which she in woods did find, With wrongful power oppressing others of their kind. Thus she him trained, and thus she him taught, In all the skill of deeming wrong and right, Until the ripeness of man's years he wrought, 
that even wild beasts did fear his awful sight, and men admired his overruling might. Nay, any lived on ground that durst withstand his dreadful hest, much less him match in fight, or bide the horror of his reekful hand, when so he list in wrath lift up his steely brand. Which steely brand, to make him dreaded more, she gave unto him, gotten by her slight and earnest search, where it was kept in store in Jove's eternal house, unwist of white, since he himself it used in that great fight against the Titans that whilom rebelled against highest heaven. Chrysaor it was height, Chrysaor that all other swords excelled, well proved in that same day when Jove those giants quelled. For of most perfect metal it was made, tempered with adamant amongst the same, and garnished all with gold upon the blade, in goodly wise, whereof it took his name, and was of no less virtue than of fame. For there no substance was so firm and hard, but it would pierce or cleave whereso it came. Nay, any armor could his dent outward, but wheresoever it did light, it throughly shard. Now, when the world with sin gan to abound, Astraea loathing linger here to space, Mongst wicked men, in whom no truth she found, Returned to heaven, whence she derived her race, Where she hath now an everlasting place, Mongst those twelve signs, which nightly we do see, The heaven's bright shining baudric to enchase, And is the virgin, sixth in her degree, And next herself her righteous balance hanging be. But when she parted hence, she left her groom, an iron man which did on her attend always to execute her steadfast doom, and willed him with Artigal to wend, and do whatever thing he did intend. His name was Talus, made of iron mould, immovable, resistless, without end, who in his hand an iron flail did hold, with which he threshed out falsehood, and did truth unfold. He now went with him in this new inquest, him for to aid, if aid he chanced to need, against that cruel tyrant which oppressed the fair Irena with his foul misdeed, and kept the crown in which she should succeed. And now together on their way they been, when as they saw a squire in squalid weed, lamenting sore his sorrowful sad tine, with many bitter tears shed from his blubberedine. To whom, as they approached, they espied a sorry sight as ever seen with eye, an headless lady lying him beside, in her own blood all wallowed woefully, that her gay clothes did in discolour die. Much was he moved at that rueful sight, and flamed with zeal of vengeance inwardly, he asked, Who had that dame so foully dight, or whether his own hand, or whether other white? Ah, woe is me, and well away, quoth he, bursting forth tears like springs out of a bank, that ever I this dismal day did see. Full far was I from thinking such a prank, yet little loss it were, and mickle thank, if I should grant that I have done the same, that I mote drink the cup whereof she drank, but that I should die guilty of the blame, the which another did, who now is fled with shame. Who was it then, said Artegall, that wrought, and why? 
do it declare unto me true. A knight, said he, if knight he may be thought, that did his hand in lady's blood imbrew, and for no cause, but as I shall you shew. This day, as I in solace sat hereby, with a fair love whose loss I now do rue, there came this knight, having in company this luckless lady, which now here doth headless lie. He, whether mine seemed fair in his eye, or that he waxed weary of his own, would change with me, but I did it deny. So did the ladies both, as may be known, but he, whose spirit was with pride upblown, would not so rest, contented with his right, but having from his courser her down thrown, from me reft mine away by lawless might, and on his steed her set to bear her out of sight. Which, when his lady saw, she followed fast, and on him catching hold gan loud to cry, Not so to leave her, not a way to cast, but rather of his hand besought to die. With that his sword he drew all wrathfully, and at one stroke cropped off her head with scorn, in that same place whereas it now doth lie. So he my love away with him hath borne, and left me here, both his and mine own love to mourn. A red, said he, which way then did he make, and by what marks may he be known again? To hope, quoth he, him soon to overtake, that hence so long departed is but vain. But yet he pricked over yonder plain, and as I marked, bore upon his shield, by which it's easy him to know again, a broken sword within a bloody field, expressing well his nature, which the same did wield. No sooner said, but straight he after sent his iron page, who him pursued so light, as that it seemed above the ground he went. For he was swift as swallow in her flight, and strong as lion in his lordly might. It was not long before he overtook Sir Sanglier, so cleeped was that knight, whom at the first he guessed by his look, and by the other marks which of his shield he took. He bade him stay, and back with him retire, who, full of scorn to be commanded so, the lady to a light did eft require, whilst he reformed that uncivil foe, and straight at him with all his force did go, who moved no more therewith than when a rock is lightly stricken with some stone's throw, but to him leaping, lend him such a knock that on the ground he laid him like a senseless block. But ere he could himself recure again, him in his iron paw he seized had, that when he waked out of his wearless pain, he found himself unwist so ill bestad that limb he could not wag. Thence he him led, bound like a beast appointed to the stall, the sight whereof the lady sore adread, and feigned to fly for fear of being thrall. But he her quickly stayed, and forced to wend withal. When to the place they came where Artegal by that same careful squire did then abide, he gently gan him to demand of all that did betwixt him and that squire betide, who with stern countenance and indignant pride did answer that of all he guiltless stood and his accuser thereupon defied. For neither he did shed that lady's blood nor took away his love but his own proper good. Well did the squire perceive himself too weak to answer his defiance in the field, 
and rather chose his challenge off to break than to approve his right with spear and shield, and rather guilty chose himself to yield. But Artegall, by signs perceiving plain that he it was not which that lady killed, but that strange knight the fairer love to gain did cast about by slight the truth, thereout to strain, and said, Now sure this doubtful cause's right can hardly but by sacrament be tried, or else by ordeal, or by bloody fight, that ill perhaps mote fall to either side. But if ye please, that I your cause decide, perhaps I may all further quarrel end. So ye will swear my judgment to abide, Thereto they both did frankly condescend, and to his doom with listful ears did both attend. Sith then, said he, ye both the dead deny, and both the living lady claim your right. Let both the dead and living equally divided be betwixt you here in sight, and each of either take his share aright. But look, who does dissent from this my red, he for a twelve-month's day shall in despite bear for his penance that same lady's head to witness to the world that she by him is dead. Well pleased with that doom with sanglier, and offered straight the lady to be slain, but that same squire to whom she was more dear, when as he saw she should be cut in twain, did yield. She rather should with him remain alive than to himself be shared dead. And rather than his love should suffer pain, he chose with shame to bear that lady's head. True love despises the shame when life is called in dread. Whom, when so willing, Artegall perceived, Not so, thou squire, he said, but thine I deem the living lady, which from thee he reaved. For worthy thou of her dost rightly seem. And you, sir knight, that love so light esteem, as that ye would for little leave the same. Take here your own, that doth you best beseem, and with it bear the burden of defame, your own dead lady's head, to tell abroad your shame. But Sanglier disdained much his doom, and sternly gan repine at his behest. No would for aught obey, as did become, to bear that lady's head before his breast, until that Talus had his pride repressed, and forced him, Malgrayet, up to rear, who, when he saw it bootless to resist, he took it up, and thence with him did bear, as rated spaniel takes his burden up for fear. Much did that squire, Sir Artegall, adore, for his great justice, held in high regard, and, as his squire, him offered evermore, to serve, for want of other meat reward and wend with him on his adventure hard. But he thereto would by no means consent, but leaving him forth on his journey fard. No white with him, but only Talus went, they two enough to encounter an whole regiment. End of Canto One Book Five The Legend of Artegall